This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of 2 Timothy this morning, if you would. If you have the Who We Call app, uh, or if you want to download that, and you go to uh, the homepage, there's a, a, a button you can click for today's message, uh, and you can actually click on a button that says fill in notes. You can actually type your notes in through your web browser and then email them to yourself when you're done. Super cool feature that we have uh, available for you through the Who We Call app, if you want to do that. Or if you just want to uh, grab a sheet of paper and jot some thoughts down as we go through it this morning, you're welcome to do that as well. But take some good notes uh, because we're going to talk about how we can forge ahead in 2021. 2 Timothy chapter 2 is where we're going to be at today. Uh, just going to take a look at four different verses uh, as we uh, look through this passage and just kind of uh, go through uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2 this morning, if you would. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to start in verse number 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 2020 was definitely a challenging year, and it's, it's fun, funny to me, and I guess interesting a little bit as well, to think that there are people who believe that since 2020 is over, 2021, uh, just because we've, we've changed over to a new year, all of 2020's problems go away. It's funny, there's people like, we made it through 2020, uh, glad it's a new year. Well, the challenges that we faced in 2020 don't just automatically go away because it just happens to be uh, January uh, of 2021. We're still going to continue to face challenges in the year ahead. There are some things that took place in 2020 that nobody saw coming, and I'm going to tell you this this morning, there are things coming up in the next 12 months that you don't even see coming. But one thing we do know is this. God will be faithful in the next 12 months and until we see him face to face for sure. So you can trust him through this. I can tell you this as well, that there's going to be difficulty ahead in this year as well. I don't know what it will be. I don't know when it will come. Maybe you started off your year with some difficulty. Maybe it's coming in the next couple of months. I don't know. But difficulty will come. But this is not a problem for us because we know that we have what it takes to make it through any difficulty that comes our way. Uh, We can trust in the promises of God's word. As you take a look at this passage, Paul's really challenging Timothy. It's important to understand uh, who's writing this and who he's writing to. Uh, The Apostle Paul is the author of 2 Timothy. Uh, He wrote uh, probably the majority of the books of the New Testament. Also, this letter is written also from prison, but we don't link this in with the rest of what's called prison epistles or prison letters by Paul. This would be more of pastoral epistles, they're called. 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus were letters that Paul wrote to pastors. And so we call these the pastoral epistles. Second Timothy is the second of two letters that we have that Paul had wrote to Timothy. Timothy was kind of Paul's apprentice, if you will. He was his uh, son in the faith. He was a guy that he was bringing along and kind of teaching him things. As Paul writes from prison, though, he writes to Timothy and he says, hey, Timothy, my time's up here on this earth. Uh, my, as he closes out this letter to Timothy, he says, you know, I, I fought a good fight. I ran a good race. Uh, the time of my departure is at hand. And so as he writes to Timothy, he doesn't really know whether he's going to see Timothy in person again or not. So he wants to give him some kind of final guidance, if you will. And so as Paul writes to him, he wants to challenge him uh, as the, he closes out these, uh, th- this chapter here. Really, as he begins chapter number two, he wants to challenge him 
to stay faithful, stay in the fight, stay after it. And so there's a lot of stuff that we can learn and glean from from this particular passage. If you're taking notes, and I highly recommend that you do, uh, jot down these thoughts, if you will, this morning. First of all, the strength that we need is greater than the strength that we currently possess. We need a strength that is greater than what we have in and of ourselves. Paul, as he writes to Timothy, tells him there's going to be difficult times ahead. There's tough stuff that's coming for sure. But he doesn't tell Timothy to just knuckle up and get through it. He doesn't tell Timothy to just kind of grin and bear it. He doesn't tell Timothy to find some strength within himself. He doesn't tell Timothy to, to grab himself by the bootstraps and pull himself up. He tells him, you need to be strong with the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. That word grace is an interesting word that we find in verse number one. He says, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The word grace means undeserved or unmerited favor. It's something that God gives us that we do not deserve. Uh, oftentimes we think that there are certain things that we deserve or certain things that we have coming to us. But God gives us the things that we actually don't deserve, that we should not have coming to us. Uh, the first thing of the grace that God gives us and the grace that you're going to need in this uh, year, in this lifetime, and in the next life for sure, is the grace that comes through Jesus through salvation. Uh, the Bible says that we've all been born into this world as sinners. We've all sinned against God. We've all broken God's law. I've broken God's law. You have as well. And that puts us in the category of being sinners. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, we're the enemies of God. Now, we're born into this world at odds with God. We're born as enemies of God, that we can't come to God the way that we are because of our sin. Uh, the Bible goes on to say in Romans chapter 6 that the wages or what we've earned as a result of our sin is death. The wages of your sin is death. That means that there's a separation between you and God, that you cannot come to God on your own. That when you die on this earth a physical death, after this, the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That we're all going to stand before God one day and have to give an account of our life and what we've done with this life. And when we get there and we stand face to face with God, he's not going to ask for, for our good versus our bad. There's not a big scale in heaven where they weigh out your good versus bad and, and good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. The Bible says that the only thing that will matter that day is if our name is written in the book of life. And so uh, basically think of it this way. Before you make it to heaven, you have to have a reservation ahead of time. How do you know for sure that your name is written in the book of life? How do you know for sure that your sins are forgiven? Well, the Bible says that you and I deserve death. We deserve to go to hell. I deserve to go to hell because I've broken God's law. And God says the consequences of that are punishment and judgment. And so, but here's the thing. God loves us too much to allow us to go to hell. God loves us too much to allow us not to have any other options. The Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants everybody to go to heaven, believe it or not. And so he made it really easy for you and I to have our sins forgiven, to make things right with him, if you will. The Bible says that he sent his son Jesus to come to pay the price of our sin. That Jesus came for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to die for our sins. Jesus came and he lived a perfectly sinless life. He never sinned one single solitary time. And he came and died on the cross. And as he shed his blood on the cross, he said these three incredible words, it is finished. Jesus died on the cross and he made a payment for our sins. 
Now, that payment needs to be applied to your account. It doesn't just automatically provide blanket forgiveness for everybody in the world. I wish that it did, but it doesn't. You have to choose to receive that gift that's given to you. Now, you can't do anything to earn it. You can't be good enough to to receive forgiveness. You can't do enough religious stuff to receive forgiveness. You can't go to church enough to receive forgiveness. You can't be baptized enough to receive forgiveness. It's a gift that God gives us. That's why the Bible calls it grace. It's not anything that you deserve. It's not anything that you've worked for, that you've earned. It's a gift that God gives you of eternal life. Just like on Christmas morning, my my wife and my kids gave me gifts, and they set them down and said, Dad, open it. Now, I had a choice at that point. I could choose to open and receive the gift, or I could say, nope, I don't want that. Uh, Frankly, if I want anything, I'll buy it for myself. I don't need a gift that you have to offer. And so many people have said, I don't want anything from God. If, I, if I've done anything wrong, I'll take what's coming to me. I'll, I'll work it out on my own. And you have the opportunity to do that. But for those who are wise, they would say, I realize that I don't deserve forgiveness. I realize that I don't deserve to go to heaven. But I would like to receive that payment for my sin. And it's not a matter of of joining our church. It's not a matter of being baptized. You don't have to attend a class or anything like that. You just have to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. And I am asking for forgiveness for all that I've done. And if you'd be willing to do that today, the Bible says that you could be saved or born again. Now that's really important because Jesus says in John chapter 3, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. And so there has to be a time, a date, a place where you were born again, where you received Jesus Christ as Savior to be forgiven of your sin and have a home in heaven. And if you've never done that, you can do that today. It's not a matter of, again, doing a religious practice. Or uh, I said, well, I don't know if I can come back to church every single Sunday. It has nothing to do with church attendance. It has everything to do with faith and repentance. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he's the only way to heaven. And I'm asking God to forgive me of my sin. And the Bible says if you do that today, you can be saved. And when you're saved, you're adopted into the family of God. You're no longer an enemy of God. You're a son. You're a daughter. You now no longer have to wonder what happens after this life is over. You can know for sure that heaven is your home because of what Jesus Christ has done. And when you get to heaven, the Bible says that God opens that book, and for all that receive Jesus Christ, their name is written in that book of life. And the Bible says there's nothing anybody can ever do to take that name out of the book of life. That when I get to heaven, I know that I'll stand before God, and he's not going to say, hmm, why should I let you in heaven? I know that he's going to open the book of life, and he's going to say, Anthony King, welcome home, son. Glad that you're here. I know that because when I was a nine-year-old boy, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and I was born again. And so if there's never been a time, a date, a place in your life where you were born again, make today that day. Uh, You don't have to hope that you're going to heaven or think maybe you'll make it to heaven. You don't have to try to live a really good life so that maybe God will receive you. You can live with assurance knowing that you are a child of God. And again, that's a gift of grace, not because you did anything to deserve it. That's kind of the starting point for everything we're going to talk about today. And if you've never been born again, you've got to get that settled first, and then you can begin to grow in your relationship with God. Because that's the starting point. When he says, stand fast, stand strong that's in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, that's the beginning point for us. You see, while our resources are limited, God makes his limitless resources available through Jesus Christ. 
you and I, our strength this year is going to be finite. There's going to be times where you come where you just feel like giving up. You feel like quitting. You feel like throwing in the towel. You feel like, I cannot take it anymore. I can't go any further. I can't make it any longer. Great. Because we're not relying on our own resources. We're relying on the grace that is found in Jesus Christ. You see, when I don't know what to do, I'm thankful that God always knows what to do. When I'm not strong enough, I'm thankful that God gives me his strength to continue to carry on. When I'm not really sure how this is going to work out, I always know that God knows the beginning from the end, and he's already got it settled. I just need to follow him and obey. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse number 12, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me. Again, if you've been saved and you're a child of God, that's who he's talking to. The works that I do shall he do, and also greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And here's what he says. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus said this, if you put your faith in me, all you have to do is ask the Father for whatever you need, and he's going to take care of it. So if you need some wisdom, just ask God, he's going to give you wisdom. You need strength, ask God, he'll give you strength. You need courage, ask God, he'll give you courage. You need faith, ask God, he'll give you faith. You need patience, ask God, he's going to give it to you. You need hope, ask God, he's going to give it to you. Whatever you ask in my name, he says, the Father's going to give it to you because of what we receive through Jesus Christ. So again, verse number one, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. But as we walk down through this passage, verse number two, we see, secondly, we must follow the examples of other godly men and women. Here's what he says in verse number two. He says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be te- able to teach others also. It's interesting, many times people try to go through the Christian life and kind of just try to do it on their own. Friend, Christianity was never meant to be a self-study journey that you're on. It was never meant to be a self-guided journey. It was always meant to be done with other people. In this passage, Paul says, hey, I've lived my life in such a way that you can follow the example that I provided for you. And so you and I need to look at other people who are doing it and doing it well and follow their examples. We need to find other quality Christian men and quality Christian women in our church that are doing it well. And we need to partner up together with them and learn from them. We're never past the point where we have figured it all out, where we've learned it all. The Apostle Paul, some would argue that he was probably one of the greatest Christians that ever lived. Here's what he said. I haven't made it yet, guys. I'm still on this journey myself. I'm still trying to press forward towards the mark that is the high calling of Jesus Christ. But Paul wanted to be an example. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 10, Thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my charity and patience, persecutions and afflictions. Timothy, you saw the way that I lived my life. Timothy, you saw every single day the things that I went through. He said, first of all, you knew my doctrine, the things that I believed about the Bible. You saw my manner of life. You saw the way that I lived my life. And he says, that's an example that I gave you to follow. Here's the thing, friend. If you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a child of God, wherever you go this week, you will be an example to other people around you. Wherever you go this week, you get to be an example of what Christians look like. 
You may say, well, I'm not ready to do that. Great, then time to get ready. Because God has given us the church to grow as Christians this year. And one of the ways we do that is following the examples of others. This is why it's so incredibly important that we be part of a, uh, some type of community inside the church. For us, we have our small groups that, that all meet online right now, but they're, uh, it's important for us to connect with other people in our church family throughout the week that we can grow together with, that we can be encouraged by, that we can look at their example and learn from them. Paul says in Philippians chapter three, verse number 17, brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. Find other people that are doing it and are doing it well and learn from them. Uh, I'm thankful for, for men in our church uh, that, I, that I've had the opportunity to learn from. Uh, folks that have children that are a little bit further down the road from me and I say, hey, you know, your children are in their 30s and walking with Jesus. What can you tell me about being a dad that I can learn from that? Hey, you, you know, you guys have been married for three, four decades. What can you tell me about marriage so that I can learn? Hey, I've been married for over two decades myself. I know a little bit about marriage, but I haven't figured it all out yet. I want to learn from the examples of other people, and I want to learn from their wisdom as well. You see, as Christians, we must also seek to lead by example. Some of you in your workplace might be the only Christian that anybody knows there. Set a good example. Some of you might be the only Bible-believing Christian on your street. Please set a good example. Some of you might be the only Christians that go to your school that you know. Good. Be a really good example. You might say, well, I don't really know that much about Christianity, or maybe I'm a new believer myself. Great. Take what you do know and do that well, and then continue to learn from other people as well. I've known people who have been saved for two weeks who are able to have a solid Christian witness at work because of their willingness to be used of God. Set a good example. I think all of us in, in our lifetime have met Christians that have disappointed us, that have let us down, that have set bad examples. Don't be that type of Christian. I've seen so much stuff that passes for, quote, Christianity today. But I'm not going to focus on what other people do or what they do wrong. I'm going to focus on me and, and being a quality example of what a Christian looks like. Angela and I this past week met some folks that were uh, visiting Hawaii from Nebraska. We began to talk to them for a little bit and, uh, uh, and, and, and we're talking about, you know, Hawaii and, and things like that. And we, and we began to talk about politics for a little bit and we talked about the coronavirus for a little bit. And then after a while they said, well, what kind of work do you do? And this is usually where the conversations always go south. <laughs> oh, I'm a pastor. People usually, if you ever want to kill a conversation and find a really quick exit, tell people you're a pastor. It kills every single conversation ever. <laughs> and so we'd had a good conversation up to this point. I said, well, I'm a pastor. And they go, really? And they said, what type of impact has the, the, the last <clears throat> nine, ten months had on your church congregation? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. And we began to talk about that and then come to find out these folks are Christians as well. And we began to, to, to talk about the Lord and what God had done in our life over the last year and stuff like that and importance that our faith had made in us. And they talked about the ministries they were involved in in their local church and things like that. And we had an outstanding conversation. But I thought about this. I thought, what did they know about me before we started having that conversation? Was I, was I acting in a way that brought honor to the Lord? Was I setting a good example before I told them I was a Christian? Because our life is always speaking. You always have something to say. And so 
Here's the thing, be a good example. He tells Timothy, uh, be an example of believers. He tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 12, let no man despise thy youth, but be an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and impurity. Here's what he tells Timothy. Timothy was a little bit younger than Paul, and Paul told him, hey, let no man despise thy youth. If you're a young Christian, don't let that dissuade you from doing something great for God. But I think the same could be said, not only in the physical or chronological age, but your spiritual age. I've known people before who said, well, I've only been saved for a year, so I don't know that I could do anything great for Christ. Let no man despise thy spiritual youth. Just do what you know you're supposed to do. You might have only been walking with Jesus for a couple of months. Great. Take what you know and just do that really, really well. And here's what he says to Timothy. Timothy, be an example of the believers in word and the things that you say, in conversation, in the way that you live your life, in charity or the way that you love other people, in your spirit, in your faith, and in your purity or your integrity. Be an example and show people how Christians are supposed to live. Everybody's met crummy Christians before, but be an example of what a quality, a good Christian looks like. And so we have the opportunity this year to set a good example for others to follow. But I also want to encourage you to do this. Make it a habit to surround yourself with wise, godly Christians who can help you grow. Notice I didn't say surround yourself with people that are spiritual people. Notice I didn't say surround yourself with people who go to church on occasion. I didn't even say surround yourself with people who are Christians. I said wise, godly Christians. Those are the people you want to surround yourself with. Because these are the people who are going to help you to grow. These are going to be the people who keep you accountable. These are going to be the people who help you mature. Proverbs chapter 9, verse number 9 says this way, the wisest man to ever live outside of Jesus Christ was Solomon. And here's what Solomon said, give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet wiser. (laughs) You know what that says? There's no lid or no limit on getting wisdom. You can never say, I think I've got all the wisdom that there is to get. We can actually become wiser. We have a a couple in our church that up until about three years ago were atheists, just totally did not believe in God. One of them would would have described themselves as an atheist. The other one would describe himself as an agnostic. He might be somebody out there, just don't care. And so these people got saved three years ago and have been on a journey to pursue Christ and walk with Jesus. You know what I asked? So what was it for you that took you from believing there is no God to saying there is a God? And you know what that was? That was me learning wisdom from them. Now, they've been saved for only maybe three years or so, but they had wisdom to share with me. I asked them this question, hey, did you ever know Christians who lived a real deal Christian life that made you want more of that? And they said, absolutely. They began to share with me people who had came across their path that God had sent in their lives that drew them to Christ. And I was encouraged by that. And I received wisdom from them. So, we, we get into very dangerous territory when we think to ourselves, well, I've been walking with Jesus for a couple of decades now. I think I'm okay. I don't really know what this person, what value they could add to me. I don't know what else I have to learn. Uh, we had our uh, men's leadership weekend uh, a couple months ago, back in uh, September, I believe it was. And I was thankful for men who had been walking with Jesus for decades who were able to come to that and says, hey, I still want to learn. I still want to grow. 
Usually in, in February, we'll have uh, our marriage enrichment uh, weekend where we'll talk about marriage and, and have a Bible study for married couples and stuff like that. And I'm always encouraged when folks who have been uh, married for, for longer than I have come to that and they say, hey, I still want to learn. I don't think I've got it all figured out yet. There's some way that I can grow. We've had people before who says, well, we've been married for you know, 20 years. I don't know what there is to, to, to know about marriage. Mm, dangerous territory. But a wise man says, I want to know more. This past year, I did not hit my goal of the number of books I wanted to read. I only read probably 30 or so books this past year. Uh, and so I didn't hit my goal, but I made some progress. But I am a voracious reader, not because I enjoy reading. Frankly, I'll just tell you this. I hate reading. How many of you say, I just do not enjoy reading? How many of, the, how many of you say, I love reading? How many of you say, I love books, but I don't necessarily love reading? There's, oh, yeah, there's the book collectors out there, right? You've got a, a vast library. I've never actually read any of these books, but... Uh, I got a good book collection going on. How many of you would rather watch the movie than read the book? Raise your hand. How many of you would rather read the book than watch the movie? Oh, you people. I want to be you, but I'm just not. I was, I'd never, I, I'll be honest, I'd never read a book until I was an adult. All the books you're supposed to read in, in high school, you know, Tale of Two Cities and all that, always read the Cliff's Notes every single time. And some of you are saying, what are Cliff's Notes? Oh, man. Before there were summaries on Google, there was these books that were yellow and black that you could pick up at the bookstore called Cliff's Notes. Uh, and basically, you didn't want to read it. It was just a summary of it. And so I never read a book until I was a grown man. But here's what I realized when I started reading. I don't read because I enjoy reading. I read because I don't know everything. I want to know more. And so this past year, I read books on pastoring. Uh, I read books on uh, church planning and church leadership. I read books on, on personal development. I read books on productivity. I read books on parenting. I read books on, on, uh, on, on being a better husband, marriage. You know why? Because I don't have all the wisdom that I want, and so I need to seek that out. And so the Bible says that we need to surround ourselves with people that are a little bit further down the road from us so that we can learn from them, so that we can grow. And so I want to encourage you this year to surround yourself with wise, godly Christians that you can learn and grow from. And you might say, hmm, where do we find this collection of wise, godly Christians? I'm glad you asked. Because God created an institution just for you that was meant to not only help you grow, but it was also meant to change the world. And it was called the church. And the church exists to help you to grow as a Christian, to help you find other people that can encourage you and keep you accountable and teach you the things that they've learned. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not already, to be a part of a small group. Everybody should be connected into a group of community in the church at some point throughout the week. And so it's really easy right now. All of our small groups are online. And so basically you go to our church website, you click on it and it automatically pops you into a group. The groups that meet on Tuesday night, groups that meet on uh, Wednesday nights. If you're a single adult, we have a group that meets on, on Friday nights for you. Different opportunities for you to be a part of community because you need to grow. All of us do. And you need to be with people that are a little bit further down the road from you. And you need to be with people who are just starting out on their Christian journey so that you can pour into them and learn from them, but you can also learn from the people that are a little bit further down the road from you. Everybody needs that in their lives. As we take a look at uh, verse number two again, the things thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You see, you and I, if we're going to accomplish the mission that God's given us, we need the appropriate training to be able to complete the mission. When we take a look at the mission of the church, the mission of the church, 
Very simple. It's called the Great Commission. In Matthew chapter 28, in the book of Mark, in the book of Luke, in the book of John, and Acts chapter 1, Jesus repeats the same commandment that he gives to followers of his. And here's what he says. Matthew chapter 28, verse number 19. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even until the end of the world. Amen. We call that the Great Commission, and it can kind of be broken down into four major parts. Go, win, baptize, teach. These are not suggestions. These are the mission. These are the things that Jesus has committed to us as his followers, so we call that a commission that he's given us. He's deputized us as followers of his to go into all the world, to go win people to Christ, see them baptized, and then teach them everything that he said. This is the mission of the church. Now, it's important to understand, too, that the mission is kind of non-negotiable. We don't get to choose our own mission. You know, Hui Kala Baptist Church has a mission statement that we have, but the mission statement is just a support of the mission. Go and baptize, teach. Now, when a church replaces the mission with a different mission, then they cease to become the church that Jesus started. For example, it's very popular these days for churches to adopt a social justice mission. The goal of our church and the mission of our church is to end poverty in America. That's not the job of the church. That might be a noble goal to pursue. That might be helpful to make sure that kids don't go to bed hungry at night. I don't want any kid to go hungry at night. And if we can do something as the church to help out with that, I want to do that. But that is not the mission of the church, to end poverty in America, or to end hunger in America. It's a worthy goal, but it's not the mission of the church. It's to end human trafficking in the world today. Worthy goal, good stuff. No one should be trafficked as a human being. No one should be held in any type of slavery of any sort, for sure. That's not the mission of the church, though. The mission of, of the church is to end racism in America. Racism is disgusting and has no place in the church that Jesus started. And any Christian that has a racist bone in their body should repent to God and ask for forgiveness and change their ways. But that's not the mission of the church. The mission of the church is to make Jesus Christ known and teach them what he said. You know why? Because if we teach people what Jesus said, Jesus tells us to take what we have and care for the poor. Guess what? That actually fixes the problem of hunger. Jesus said that we should love our neighbor the way that we love ourselves. And when we see someone in poverty, when we see someone caught up in some type of human trafficking or something like that, our heart breaks and wants to help them, not because it's the right thing to do, but because Jesus told us to love our neighbor the same way that we love ourselves. If we teach people the gospel and everything that Jesus said, then that will end racism because the Bible says in Jesus Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. We're all one in Jesus Christ. There's no longer black, white. We no longer see color. We now see people as our brothers and sisters in Christ or those that are in need of forgiveness and need to be brought into the family of God. You see, the gospel changes everything. We're not just trying to, to help people be better or do differently. We're trying to help people to know Jesus. And that changes everything. So the mission of the church is very, very simple. But here's the thing. If you and I are going to fulfill the mission of the church, we need to get the appropriate training. 
I uh, enlisted in the, in the Navy right out of high school. I went to boot camp and I got eight weeks of training at a place called Great Lakes, Illinois, also known as Great Mistakes for all those who uh, ever joined the Navy. Boot camp, eight weeks long to teach you a new vocabulary, words that I had never heard before. Uh, you know, doors were no longer doors. They were, uh, they were bulkheads. Or walls were no longer walls. They were bulkheads. Hallways were no longer hallways. They are passageways, also known as P-ways. Field day was not a time where you got to go out and hang out with your friends and throw a football and uh, jump over hurdles and stuff like that. That wasn't field day. Field day is break out the mop and bucket and start polishing the deck. Ooh, wow. These are terms I've never heard before. You know why? Because there was a training period to help me to go from being a knuckleheaded high school kid to a sailor in the world's finest Navy. There needed to be a training process. After that eight weeks, you got to graduate boot camp, but you weren't done then. Now you went on to a specialized training program to help you to fulfill your role in being a part of the mission of the world's finest Navy. You had to know your role and what you needed to do to accomplish that. There was a training process that you had to go through. Friend, when you become a child of God and you're adopted into the family of God and you become a part of the body of Christ, you need to get the training you need to fulfill the mission that God's given you to be able to be effective in the role that God's given you. This doesn't come automatically. You need the appropriate level of training. And so he says to, to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to take the things that you know and I want you to pass them on to faithful men. Train other people so that they can train others also. So you are a part of the army of God. You've enlisted as a soldier of Jesus Christ, but now you need to get the training you need to fulfill your role. If you're a dad, it's your job to disciple your children and teach them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. If you're a husband or a father, you are the resident theologian in your home. You need to be trained and equipped in the Bible to explain the things of the Bible to your family. You might say, well, I didn't grow up in a Christian home or I don't really know a lot about the Bible. Good. Learn, because now you need to be trained for your role. If you're a, a woman, you need to, to understand the Bible so you can know what it means to be a woman of God, to be able to carry out your specific function, either within your home or what it means to be a godly single woman. You need that type, type of training. Unfortunately, many Christians never get the training that they need. They never get someone teaching them what they need to know. So what they do is they just copy what everybody else does. If you're new to the Christian faith, you know, maybe I'm supposed to go to church on Sunday, so I'll show up. What time does church start? 10 o'clock. Great, I'll go. When I go, I, I look around. I stand up when everybody stands up. I, I sing when everybody else sings. I sit down. Everybody else nods their head or writes some stuff down. I'll nod my head and write my stuff down. And then I'll go home and I'll do it again next week. Kind of follow what everybody else does. I remember as a kid one time we... Uh, Went to a Catholic wedding. I'd never been in a Catholic church before. Uh, I'd never been to a Catholic wedding before. I didn't know anything about the Catholic faith. And so uh, I went, and I, I kept my mouth shut, and I just did what everybody else did. If everybody else stood up, I stood up. If everybody else sit down, I sit down. If everybody else kneels, I kneel. Uh, I got in trouble one time because I flipped out the, the little foot rest there and propped my feet up on there. That was a big time no-no. That's not a foot rest, okay? Uh, and so I got in trouble for that because I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I was just following what everybody else did. And unfortunately, many Christians just follow what everybody else does. They don't know what they're supposed to do. They don't, never got any type of training. I mean, think about it this way. If you've maybe even grown up in church your whole life, you don't, might not know what it's like to come into a church for the first time. 
think about it this way. If you decided tomorrow that you wanted to be a Buddhist, how do you even do that? Well, you, you probably go on the internet and start doing some research, right? Uh, what time do their services uh, take place? What does it take to go into a Buddhist temple? Can anybody just walk into a Buddhist temple? What are their services like? Do they, do they open the Bible? Do they pray? Are there prayers that you're supposed to know before you go in there? Should you take money with you to provide an offering for you? Or do, do Buddhists bring like food offerings and stuff like that later? I, I don't know. But we would probably show up and then just copy what everybody else does. Many people see Christianity the same way. I don't really know what's going on here. I'll just show up and do what everybody else does. It was never meant to just copy what everybody else does. The whole idea is that you would be trained in what you need to know. That's why we say here, and again, if you've been at Who We Call for any length of time, I might sound like a broken record, but I'm going to continue to sound like a broken record. Here's the fact. Every Christian should go through some form of discipleship. Every single Christian. You need to know what it means to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. You can't just show up and copy what everybody else does. It doesn't work that way. Christianity was never meant to be a self-study, self-guided process. It was always meant to be done with another person who would lead you through this process. Always. When we talk about discipleship, a disciple is a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Therefore, discipleship is the process of becoming a committed follower of Jesus Christ. That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is not a class uh, discipleship is not a book. Discipleship is not a course or a program. Discipleship is learning to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. Now here at Hui Kala, we use the Continued Discipleship Curriculum. It's a 14-week program where we walk you through major doctrines of the Bible. But discipleship is not filling in blanks in a book. Discipleship is walking through the process with another Christian who teaches you what it means to follow Jesus. I grew up in a Christian home. Uh, I went to church three times a week from the time I was born until the time I was 18 years old, graduated high school and joined the Navy. I knew a lot about the Bible. Uh, I knew a lot of Bible stories, but I did not know what it meant to walk with Jesus and be a committed follower. Didn't know it. My wife, uh, Angela, uh, she, she has an incredible salvation testimony. She was 13 years old and she was invited to a, a Baptist church for revival services. Uh, she was attending a Methodist church that did not preach the Bible, did not preach the gospel, preached more of a morality uh, system as opposed to actually teaching you how to know for sure your sins were forgiven and know who Jesus Christ was and what he had done. So she went to this Baptist revival and the man there preached the gospel and she said, I'd never heard it before. And she said, but as he, he preached, she said, it just spoke to me. It was like God was speaking directly to me. And she said, I was hanging on every single word that he said. And she said, he said, if you'd like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd like for you to stand up in your seat right now, make your way to the aisle, and come forward. Somebody's going to meet you here at the front and talk to you about how you can know for sure you can be saved tonight. And she'd gone with a group of friends, and she said, I remember that feeling that I had, she said, of just wanting to immediately jump out of my seat and run forward. And she said, and I thought to myself, as soon as my friends hear that, they're going to jump up and go with me, and we'll all go together. And she said, but as I looked down the aisle, she said, my friends were passing notes and laughing and talking, and were totally checked out. She said, but me, I knew that I had to go forward. I knew it. And so she said, I got up, walked over past everybody, I got to the aisle, and I walked forward. 
She said a lady met me there and we sat down at the front row and she opened the Bible and she explained the gospel to me and asked me if I'd like to be saved. And she said, I knew that I did. And so she said, I accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. And she said, the lady asked me, she said, do you have a church that you go to? And she said, I do. And she said, good, go this Sunday and tell your pastor what you've done. And she said, okay. And so she said, I went back to my church on Sunday and I told the pastor I accepted Christ as Savior. And he says, that's great. Good to hear it. Congratulations. And she said, that was it. And she said, I never, ever, ever knew what I was supposed to do. She had no discipleship. And so she said, I began to hear messages every week of be a good person, be nice to your neighbor, and do good things, don't do bad things, because that's what Christians do. And she said, and church was kind of like a social get-together and kind of a morality club, if you will. She said, but I never heard anybody open the Bible after that. And her uh, grandmother had given her uh, a Bible for high school graduation. And uh, she said, uh, I'd gotten that, and she said, after I got off to college, and she goes, and I'd heard from a lot of people that you couldn't really trust the Bible because it had been passed down from generations and it had been corrupted and you didn't really know what was what. And she said, so I just opened the front flap of the Bible and it says, the words of Christ in red. And she said, and I thought to myself, I don't know if I can trust any of the rest of the Bible, but at least I can trust what Jesus said. And so she said, I, I flipped in the, the Bible until I found something that was red. And she said, <laughs> we were dating at the time and, and again, she was, she, she was saved, but that was all she knew. She goes, did you know that almost the first 75% of the Bible, there's no red words? Did you know that? <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's the Old Testament. She's like, what does that even mean? And so here I am, you know, thinking to myself, well, I know a lot about the Bible, let me tell you. Uh, and so I began to explain to her, you know, the Old Testament, New Testament, and things like that. And she said, Man, she said, when you get to Matthew, she said, it takes a little while, but after a little bit of Matthew, she said, there's this whole section. She goes, it's like pages and pages that are like all red. And I go, that's the Sermon on the Mount. And she goes, I don't know what it is, but it's the whole like, you're blessed if you do this, and you're blessed if you do that, and, and blessed are the peacemakers, and blessed are the, the, the poor in spirit, blessed are, sweetheart, that's, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Well, then he goes on to say, like, don't worry about tomorrow and what's going to happen because tomorrow's going to take care of itself. And he talks about, you know, the animals. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And she was like, I don't know what that is. She goes, but she said, for the longest time, she goes, the only thing that I knew was what was there in, in Matthew that read. She goes, I just read that again and again because I thought that's the only thing I can trust. She goes, can you really trust the rest of the Bible? <laughs> Of course you can. We begin to talk about that. We're dating at the time. I'm trying to explain to her, you know, the Bible. And then we get married and we decide that, you know, we're going to start trying to do the right thing, start walking with Jesus. And we realize we don't really know anything about anything. And I'm so thankful there was a, a couple in our church that uh, was assistant pastor and his wife, Pat and Jane Smith, who said, hey, let's go grab a bite to eat. And so we went to, to lunch with them, began to talk about our faith and stuff like that. And we realized really quickly we know a lot about the Bible, but we don't really know what it means to walk with Jesus. And so they began a process. We didn't know what to call it at the time. We were just having meals and hanging out at their house and learning from them and things like that. And they taught us what it meant to be a committed follower of Jesus. We didn't have a book that we filled out, but we'd go back usually every week or every week or in a half or so, every couple of weeks we'd get together and say, hey, what about this? What about that? Hey, I got a question about this. And they would take us back to the Bible. Then he began to say things like, well, you know, if I were you and I was serious about following Jesus, I might not do that if I were you, or if I, I might make this change if I were you, or I encourage you to, you know, do this for your wife if you're really serious about following Jesus. And 
They taught, it what it, taught us what it meant to be committed followers of Christ. And I can tell you this. We are here today because of the investment of Pat and Jane Smith to disciple us. I knew a lot about the Bible. Angela knew nothing about the Bible. But we slowly became committed followers of Jesus because somebody poured their life into us. And Jesus says, if any man will come after me, he has to deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's the criteria for discipleship. I I don't set the criteria for discipleship. Jesus did. And it's funny, sometimes people misunderstand what Jesus meant when he says, take up your cross daily. People say things like, oh, you know, I I work a lot of hours, and so that's just my cross to bear. Or I'm a a single income earner for our family. That's my cross to bear. I work the midnight shift. That's my cross to bear. Or my neighbors get on my last nerve. That's my cross to bear. That's not a cross to bear. Crosses were used for one purpose and one purpose only in the Bible. You know what that was? Death, execution, that's it. It wasn't meant to make you feel uncomfortable or a a sacrifice you had to make. They were meant for death. And so Jesus says, if you're gonna come after me, first of all, you gotta deny yourself. Whatever you want, you gotta be willing to set that to the side to follow me. And the second thing you gotta do is you have to die to yourself every single day. I'm gonna die to the compliments that I get. I'm going to die to the criticism that I receive. I'm going to die to what I want. I'm going to die to what this world expects of me. I'm going to die to other people's expectations of me. And I'm going to be alive to Christ instead. And then you got to follow him every single day. That's what discipleship looks like. And here's the thing. Again, it's not a self-guided, self-paced journey. You're meant to do it with somebody else who's going to guide you through that process. Jesus chose 12 men to walk with him every single day and he poured his life into those 12 men. And when he was gone, 11 of those men took what Jesus had given them and poured their life into other people. And those people poured their life into others. And it created a thing that began to spread that's never stopped since then. But the whole purpose of this is take what I've got, pass it on to someone else. That's what 2 Timothy 2.2 says. Been said before that salvation is the miracle of a moment, but discipleship is the journey of a lifetime. That couldn't be more true. The day that you get saved, the day you accept Jesus Christ as Savior, boom. The second you believe in Jesus and confess your sin, all, all the wrong you've ever done is wiped away as if it never happened. That moment you go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God. That moment your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, and nobody can take your name out of that. Your reservation is made in heaven for all of eternity. The moment that you accept Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes to live inside of you, to give you the ability to live for Jesus and to discern right from wrong and be able to receive God's word in a new way that God's word opens up to you in a way that it didn't make sense before. God gives you a new purpose for living now. God gives you the guidelines to be able to find the fruitfulness that's found in life. God gives you something that no one can ever take away from you the second that you get saved. The Bible says you pass from death into life, from darkness into light. Man, that's quick. I was nine years old when I accepted Christ as Savior. Some nine-year-old boy sitting down beside my bed. My dad came in my room and opened up the Bible. We went through the, the Romans row before church that day and I accepted Jesus Christ as Savior. Man, boom, just like that. But walking with Jesus, I didn't start walking with Jesus until I was in my early 20s. So there's a period of uh, 13 years or so that was just completely fruitless. I was a child of God, but I wasn't growing. I was a child of God, but I wasn't doing what I was supposed to do. 
I was a child of God, but I wasn't walking with God. I didn't know God. God didn't really know me the way that he should have. So I committed to discipleship, walking with Jesus. And I haven't stopped. There's no day that we can check off our discipleship. One of the men that I was going through the discipleship course with uh, finished his discipleship course. We'll give him a certificate uh, uh, later because he's actually serving in children's ministry today. He finished the course. Check that off. The course is finished. But he hasn't finished discipleship. That goes on forever. I haven't finished discipleship. That continues to go on. I still want to be more committed to Jesus than I was last year. I want to continue to grow in my knowledge of the Lord this year. I want to know more about the Bible this year than I knew last year. I want to become more useful to Christ than I was useful to Christ last year. That's a process of a lifetime that continues. January 13th, week and a half from now, we're starting our continued discipleship course. If you've never gone through discipleship, this is your opportunity. We partner you up with another person in our church, guys with guys, ladies with ladies, sometimes couples with couples. And you take 14 weeks at your schedule, at your pace, and you go through the major doctrines of the Bible. We're going to talk about, you know, who God is, where do we get the Bible from, who is Jesus Christ, who's the Holy Spirit, what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what is the church, is the church really that important, you know, uh, what are we, what's the job of the church, what's the role of the church, what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ, we'll take you through all of that, you and one other person, and you'll learn what it means to be a committed follower of Christ, and then here's the awesome part about it, when you're done with that, you get to take what you've learned and pass it on to somebody else. You get to take somebody else through that process because that's how discipleship works. <laughs> it's funny. People sometimes say, well, pastor, I really like the way you do discipleship in the church. That's a great idea. Where did you come up with that? <laughs> As if it were my idea. 2 Timothy 2, 2. The things you've learned from me, commit to faithful men who can teach others also. It's God's plan for discipleship. And, and, and here's the thing. Discipleship changed my life. And so I'm very, very passionate about discipleship. But lest you think that Hui Kala is big on discipleship because pastor's big on discipleship, please understand, this is just part of the Great Commission. Go, win, baptize, teach. It's the teach portion of the Great Commission. We therefore teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. It's the Great Commission. And any church that is not discipling Christians is not fulfilling the mission that Jesus has given us. Simple as that. So we're big on discipleship not because I think it's important, but because Jesus thinks it's important. We're big on discipleship not because uh, we think it's a good idea, but because Jesus said this is the way it needs to be done. So if you've never gone through discipleship, sign up January 13th through the Who We Call it, uh, app, through the church website, uh, or just see me. Pastor, I want to go through discipleship. We'll get you partnered up with somebody. But if you want to do it, I would highly encourage you to sign up for it this week because we're starting to partner people up uh, for the kickoff on January 13th. But it's a big deal. And in the history of Hui Kala, we've had hundreds of people who have gone through our discipleship program. It's, it's that important. And so if you haven't done it, you need to do it. But here's the thing at the end of the day. If you look at verse number one, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Jesus Christ. Difficult times are coming. Be ready for it. Next, Things you've heard from me among many witnesses, saying, commit thou to faithful men who should be able to teach others also. Verse three, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You need to recognize there's challenges ahead. Just know this, just because this year turned over the calendar to a new year doesn't mean that all last year's problems go away. (laughs) 
Hardships in life are not confined to a calendar year. That's why I think it's one of the most foolish things in the world that people are saying like, whoo, we made it through 2020. I'm, I'm glad the new year ahead is going to be so much better. Says who? Do you think the problems that 2020 had just ceased to exist on January 1st? No, there's challenges ahead and you need to know what they are. In the military and in any good leadership organization, they sometimes do what's referred to as a SWOT analysis, S-W-O-T. How many of you are familiar with the term SWOT analysis? Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. Unless you think this is just some leadership uh, uh, guideline or some military thing or something like that. Please understand the Bible says this, that we as Christians are to walk circumspectly as wise. You know what that word circumspectly means? It means with 360 degree vision of everything that could possibly get me off track. And so the year ahead, we really need to step back and say, what are the things that are coming at me that I need to be aware of? It wouldn't be a bad thing for you to do a SWOT analysis as a Christian this year before you start the new year. What are some strengths? What are some things that I'm good at? What are some things that I've got going for me this year? What are some things that I can say, hey, this is a strength that I have and make it even stronger? You might say, hey, my Bible reading's solid. Good. What can I make my Bible reading come alive like never before? You might say, hey, uh, you know, my time in prayer has been really good. Good. What can you do to take that to the next level? You might say, hey, my, my church attendance has been solid. Good. What can you do to get more out of your community worship that we have together? Oh, I've got a really good uh, small group that I'm a part of. Good. What can you do to bring value to that small, small group? What can you do to take your, your strengths and make them even better? Really easy for me. I'm a, my, my worst critic to find my weaknesses. What are some areas that I'm not so great at? Maybe your time in the Word's not that good or sporadic. Maybe you're not consistent the way that you should and you need to identify what your weaknesses are. And here's the great part about weaknesses. It's not a matter of, hey, you just need to do better. No, let's go back to verse number one. Be strong in the grace that is found in Christ Jesus. It's, again, this is not a matter of knuckling up and getting it done. It's not a matter of gritting your teeth and getting through it. It's just a matter of finding the grace that's found in Jesus Christ and using that strength to push through. What are your weaknesses? Is there some sin that you've allowed to creep into your life that you need to get rid of? Do that today. Get done with it. Be done with it. Don't bring it into the new year. Maybe your Bible reading is crummy. Maybe your church attendance is crummy. Maybe your giving isn't what it should be. I don't know what it is, but all of us have weaknesses. But how can I work on my weakness until my weakness becomes a strength? The thing that I was terrible at, what can I do to make that better so that I'm not terrible at it anymore? Well, I've always been horrible at prayer. Good, then stop being horrible at it. Do something to make that one of your strengths that you have. And I always encourage people, this is not a, 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 a lesson on goal setting. But I'm just telling you, start small. You know, I'm pray for one hour a day. Pray for three minutes a day first. I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. Start with one chapter a day. Start somewhere. And once you get some momentum going, man, crank it up if you want to. But identify what your weaknesses are. Opportunities, oh man, opportunities to serve Jesus are abundant. What can you do to grow this year? What are ways that you can serve Jesus more this year? Maybe it's reaching out to a friend and sharing the gospel. Maybe it's uh, being out there as a Christian at work. 
Maybe it's a new opportunity that you have in your marriage to grow in your faith. Maybe it's an opportunity to maybe have a family Bible study if you've never done that in your house before. And again, having family Bible study doesn't mean you gotta sit down and provide a three-point sermon and a poem. It might just be uh, over dinner. Hey guys, I read this verse in my Bible this morning. What do you guys think about that? But what's an opportunity that you have? Maybe you need to commit to church membership just put your roots down and begin to serve here at Huikala. Man, opportunities are all around if you'd be willing to step out by faith and grab those. It's funny, sometimes uh, I'll ask folks, hey, would you be willing to serve in our children's ministry, either in super church or maybe in the nursery or something like that? People are like, oh, I'm not good with kids. (laughs) And it's funny, the people who say that get the greatest joy in working in children's ministry. They're really good at it. But it's being willing to be used by God to for him to, to use your life. But here's the thing I want you to be very, 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 very well aware of, the threats. Know this, if you decide to walk with Jesus in 2021, the devil's gonna put a target on your back every single time. And you need to be well aware of what it's gonna, what has the capability to take you off track. It's sad to, to think that there are people in our church that were here last January but aren't here this January because they quit on Jesus. That's a bummer. But every single one of them had a threat that they allowed to overtake their life. Some people, their income began to fluctuate a little bit. They got scared and they pulled the plug and don't walk with Jesus anymore because they felt like Jesus failed them. Some people, a family member got sick or fell on hard times and they lost their faith in Jesus and they pulled the plug. Some people allowed relationships influence to overtake their life. They got involved in a relationship with an unbeliever that they shouldn't have and they got off track. Some people got sucked into the things that the world had to offer that were a little bit more shiny than the things that Jesus had to offer and they no longer walk with Jesus. What What would take you off track? I think a good way to identify what could take you off track is to identify the things that are the most important to you. Is money, status important to you? How about this? Maybe something really good that God's given you like family is important to you. But if your family were threatened in some way, would that cause you to lose your faith? We need to be well aware of that. And again, the Bible says walk circumspectly is wise. Be well aware of the things that are coming for you. Keep your finger here in uh, 2 Timothy. We're gonna come back in just a second. Turn over to Luke chapter eight, if you would. (laughs) Luke chapter eight, verse number five, Jesus gives a parable of a guy who's tossing out seed. Luke chapter eight, verse number five, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Some fell upon a rock. As soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked it. Others fell on good ground. Take a look at verse eight. Others fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, he that hath ears, let him hear. Look at verse eight. Good seed on good soil brings what kind of increase on the fruit? What, how, how much? Hundredfold. We're not talking about a little bit of fruit. 
We're talking about a lot. And you say, oh, what's the whole deal with the, the, the seed and the, the ground? Good. Verse number nine, his disciples asked, what does this parable mean? Verse 10, he said, unto you is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables. Now the parable is this, verse number 11, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear, then cometh the devil, taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. So these are people that are not saved. They hear the Bible. They hear the gospel. They hear that Jesus Christ has died for their sins. But the devil come and snatches that word away and they're not saved. They don't accept Christ as Savior. They don't repent of their sins and they continue on. And when they die, they'll spend eternity separated from God in hell. Verse 13. They on the rock are they which when they hear the joy, receive the word with joy. And these have no root for which a while believe in a time of temptation fall away. So these are people, they love what they hear. They receive the word of God. And they, they enjoy hearing preaching. They love coming to church. They love singing the songs. Man, this is awesome. This is great. But here's the problem. They never put their roots down. Hmm. What does that sound like? Lack of discipleship. They never put their roots down. They never owned it for themselves. And when temptation came... They got snatched away, and they no longer walk with Jesus because they never put their roots down. Verse 14, mm, this is scary. Again, this is where we come to a SWOT analysis of our faith. And they which fell among thorns are they, which when they've heard, go forth, and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to perfection. Hey, I heard it. It's good, but huh, I've just been really busy lately. I got a lot of stuff going on right now. The cares of this world. I'm really nervous about this whole coronavirus thing, so I don't want to be in church. I don't want to be around people. I don't want to be in a, in a small group. I don't want to be connected to anybody else. I'm just going to wait till this whole thing dies down. <laughs> it's funny, some people said, I'll come to church when we don't have to wear masks anymore. And that sounded like a good idea like at the very beginning, right? Because they said, everybody wear a mask, wash your hands, this will be over in two weeks. So, okay, wait, great. I'll wait till I don't have to wear a mask to church and then I'll come back. Guess what? <laughs> Eight months later, we'll still wear masks, right? So the things of this world, the cares of this world came and some people bailed because they got freaked out by what's going on. Now we do have some people that for health reasons are staying home and I'm 100% for them. Uh, they're watching online today. They still continue to be a sport, part of a small group. They still continue to, to give and be a part of our church family. I'm 100% for that. I'm talking about the people when uncertainty came, they pulled the plug on walking with Jesus. Again, verse 14, the cares of this world, riches and pleasures of this life came. Many times, I've seen people that were not killed in their faith due to poverty, but people that were killed in their faith due to prosperity. People who began to make more money. Oh, I'll make a lot more money, but I have to work on Sundays. Or make a lot more money now, and I no longer have to pray, uh, pray about how to pay my bills because I got it all covered now. I don't really need Jesus as much because I got everything I need. And then just the things that this life has to offer, these things were more shiny than the things that Jesus offered. And so I followed after those. And these threats came, and now people aren't walking with Jesus anymore. What would it take to cause you to quit? Lose your job? <laughs> I'm thankful that the people in our church this past year that lost their jobs dug in deeper to their faith and actually came out on the other side more committed to Christ than what they were before. 
That's exactly how trials should be in our lives. What would it take for you to, to quit on Jesus? Relationship hits the rocks. People don't like you. You find something better to do on the weekends. I don't know, but whatever it is, identify that as a threat, neutralize it, move on. Turn back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. <laughs> Take a look at verse number 4. No man that warreth entangling himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a good soldier. I want to encourage you with this thought this morning. Choose a path and commit to it. Block, stock, and barrel, I'm 100% in. All my eggs are in one basket, and that basket is the safety found in Jesus Christ. Choose a path, commit to it. Hey, look, if you don't want to walk with Jesus, don't. Simple as that. Quit playing. Do it or don't. And so that sounds really harsh. I didn't say it. Jesus did. Jesus said this, you're either for me or you're against me. Very simple. Jesus, as he talks in the book of Revelation to a church, he says, you make me sick because you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm, and because of that, you make me want to vomit. Just pick a side. He says, I wish you were hot or I wish you were cold. At least I would know where you stand. This year, either walk with Jesus or don't. Just quit playing church on Sundays, pretending like you're something that you're not. Do it. Full throttle. All in. It'll be the best decision you've ever made. Make a commitment to it and do it. Because the things of this world are just a distraction. Take a look at verse number four again. No man that warreth a real soldier of Jesus Christ doesn't entangle himself with the affairs of this life. You know, the thing is, in battle, there are certain things known as diversionary tactics. <laughs> it's not really what's going on. It's something that's meant to get your focus off of where the attack's really coming from. And the shiny things of this world are diversionary tactics of the enemy to get your focus off of what's really important, which is walking with Jesus. I know people who quit walking with Jesus because they make $2 more to work on Sundays. <laughs> Bro, $2 an hour over an eight-hour shift is $16 before taxes. <laughs> After taxes, you just sold Jesus out for 10 bucks a day? That's embarrassing. People do it all the time. It's a diversionary tactic by the enemy to get your focus on what's really important. You know the, the interesting thing when, when soldiers have a job to do, you know what they do? They just do it. Soldiers don't think to themselves, well, I didn't get promoted last time, so I'm not going to do my job. No, they just do their job. It doesn't matter what they're making. It doesn't matter what rank they wear on their, their collar. They got a job to do, they just do it. The guys that get the mission done, the guys that are, are the producers, aren't the guys that are worried about their status or who they're going to receive accolades from. They just know that they have a job to do, they just do it. You know why? Because they realize it's not about them. That's why when Paul says, I want you to be a good soldier, because everybody that fights in the battle doesn't get caught up in all the garbage that the world has to offer. They're not concerned about who gets the credit. They just know their role and they do their job. So you'll be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Know your role, do your job. Don't get caught up in all the other stuff that's going on. It's a diversionary tactic by the enemy to get your focus off what's really real. 
Jesus said this, Luke chapter nine, verse number 62. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. <laughs> Jesus says, if you're gonna do it, just do it. If you're not, don't. But don't get started following Jesus and then look to the left and go, hmm, I could keep following Jesus, but this over here looks really good. He says, those type of people aren't fit for the kingdom of God. I'm plowing, I'm following Jesus, but ooh, this over here is shiny. I think I want this instead of following Jesus. Ooh, I want this job over here. It has a little bit more status, but I have, to do that, I have to stop following Jesus. Oh, to, to live here, I, I have to put this to the side from following Jesus, and I have to follow after this. Jesus says, those people aren't a good fit for my kingdom. Those people aren't a good fit for my army. Those people don't make very good soldiers who would sell out Jesus the first chance that they get for something better. So just choose a path, commit to it. Do it or don't. But I'm telling you this, following Jesus will be the best decision you've ever made in your entire life, guaranteed. 100 times out of 100. Now, how do we live this out practically on a day-to-day basis? First of all, seek the Lord daily. I have a friend who refers to your devotional life as personal worship time. I like that. Personal worship time. What does your personal worship time look like? Do you spend time in the word? Do you spend time in prayer? Do you sing songs to God of praise? Man, I was, I was in my office yesterday and I had, had a good time in the word and a good time in prayer. I was listening to some good Christian worship music and oh man, I was just singing my guts out. And I thought, if anybody heard this, they would think that somebody was strangling a cat, right? But man, I didn't care. You know why? Because I was, I, was, I was high on Jesus, man. It was good. It was really good. Do you seek the Lord daily? Or is your Bible reading just something to check off? Or I prayed for the day and now I'm done. No, seek the Lord daily. It, it'll be one of the things that you need to make it through the year, guaranteed. Next. Surround yourself with wise, godly friends. Just like a president chooses cabinet members that are highly specialized in areas that are critical to the leadership of our nation, so you should choose godly men and women that are critical to the leadership that you need in your own life. And the time to surround yourself with wise, godly friends is not when you're in trouble. No, you need to set up these people ahead of time. I I tell my boys, don't make any life-changing decision in your life unless you speak to five godly men first. You know why? Because they need people that can provide wisdom. I don't want them to do things because dad said to. I want them to do things because it's what God wants them to do. And to, to find wisdom, they gotta have wise, godly friends in their life. And so both my boys have been cultivating relationships with godly men in our church and godly men outside of our church so that when the time comes that they need wisdom, they have people that they can call and say, hey, what do you think about this? What are your thoughts on this? These are men that can sharpen them and encourage them, help them to grow. I I have men like that in my life. I have probably five or six guys in our church that I spend time with uh, every couple of months and just talk to and and am encouraged by and ask questions to. I have uh, three pastor friends that I talk with at least once a week that, uh, you know, I ask for guidance and ask for prayer and, and encouragement from them. Everybody needs this. Again, the Christian life is not meant to, to ride solo. You need people like that in your life. Next, to turn to make this year a year of personal growth and discipleship. I don't know what growth looks like for you this year, but figure out what it looks like and do it. If you need some good Christian books, I can encourage you with some, some good stuff you could read. 
I believe everybody should have a good study Bible that you use. Uh, we have the Life Application Study Bible in our bookstore here. <laughs> the top of it talks about, it gives you the Bible, God's Word, and the bottom half is an explanation of how you live it out today. Man, outstanding resource, you need one. Maybe you need to, to become a reader. You say, I'd rather read the Cliff's Notes. There's no shortcuts to, to wisdom. You gotta immerse yourself in it. You say, I'm a slow reader, good. <laughs> one book should last you a year then. <laughs> I remember my dad had a book when I was a kid. My dad is not a reader by any stretch of the imagination. My dad's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life, but he does not read. He had one book growing up as a kid. He probably read on it for 10 years. It wasn't a big book either. It was probably, I don't know, 150 pages or so. But every time our family would go on vacation or we go out of town or something like that, he'd pack his book to read. He'd read two pages of it and put it back up. And sometimes he'd have to go back and read those two pages because you know, he hadn't read in the last six months. He'd have to go back and remember what those two pages said. But here's the thing. It's not a matter of, of reading through as many books as I do or as many books as somebody else does. Just, just continue to grow. Soak up knowledge. Soak up wisdom. Uh, join a small group. You know, learn from other people in your small group. Cultivate godly friendships in your life. If you've never gone through discipleship, sign up for discipleship. You need to grow. And, and maybe you've been walking with Jesus for a while. Uh, maybe you just need to know how we do discipleship here so you can take somebody else through it. I had the opportunity to disciple so many people in our church that are now leaders of small groups in our church. Uh, some of our best disciples that we have in our church are people who I've had the opportunity to pour my life into. Some of them, uh, I had the opportunity to disciple one couple that had been saved longer than I've been alive. But they said, hey, I really learned a lot through this. And this, this is helpful for me. And are some of the, the, the best disciples that we have in our church. So it's not a matter of like, well, I'm past that. I don't really need that in my life. Everybody needs some form of discipleship. And if you had never gone through it, go through it. And then take what you've learned and pass it on to somebody else. Again, you can sign up through our church website, through the app. If you're taking notes on your, your device today on the fill-in notes, there's a link at the bottom of that. You just click it and register for discipleship. But you need to grow in your faith this year. Whatever that looks like for you, do it. My final thought this morning, set up boundaries in your life that keep you from going off track. You need to, to draw a line in the sand that says, I'm never going to cross this line ever. And I'm going to set up some alarm systems in my life that make sure that I never cross this line. There's some uh, folks in our church, Todd and Tamara Blankenship, they go to the 8 o'clock service. You haven't met Todd and Tamara, they're phenomenal people. Every single Sunday morning, I go to unlock the gate out here at 7.30 every Sunday morning. Todd and Tamara are always standing outside the gate at 7.28, always. And I told them last week, I mean, if, if I've been opening the gate for six months, they've been there six months at 7.28. I told Todd and Tamara last week, if I opened this gate and you guys weren't here, I would think something was wrong. Like I would call and say, hey, are you guys okay? Something wrong? You know, somebody sick or somebody in the hospital? Because if you weren't there, something would be wrong because they've created a boundary that they say, if church is open, we're gonna be there. And we're gonna be there not rolling in at the last second. We're gonna be there ahead of time so we can do something to serve. But for our family, we made a decision 20 years ago. If the doors to church are open and they're having a church service, our family's gonna be there, period, end of story. And if not, somebody's dead, dying, or in the hospital. When we're on vacation, we go to church somewhere because it's just a decision we made. That's a boundary that we set up to make sure that we never get off track. Because I don't know if you've ever like, you know, it comes time to go to a gym, the gym on Monday and you say, oh, I'm kind of tired today. I'll go this afternoon. And you don't go that afternoon. 
we'll go tomorrow. I'm just going to start again next week. And you begin to put it off and put it off and put it off. We made a decision for church. We're not ever going to make excuses. We're going to be there. If you're tired, great. You can take a Sunday afternoon nap. But we're going to be in church. It's a decision we made. I also have people in my life that are looking out for me that if things aren't going well, they're going to say, hey, is everything okay? I'm thankful for, for men in my life that'll say, hey, pastor, is everything okay with you? You seem a little bit off today. Is everything okay? And, and please know, if somebody you have somebody like that in your life, that's a gift. Don't say, everything's fine. Mind your own business, man. What's your problem? No, that's a gift. Mm. Thanks for checking on me. I just got a lot of stuff going on my mind right now, but I appreciate you thinking about that. Would you pray for me? Man, that's a gift. But I've cultivated relationships like that in my life. And it's taking time to, to develop those, but you need those type of people in your life. If you're going to make it this year, you need to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You need to follow the examples that other people have set. You need to identify the things that are going to get you off track and you need to commit to, to walking this path, not just this year, but every single day for the rest of your life best decision you'll ever make. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that heaven's your home, please do not leave here without knowing for sure you're saved, not knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven. Don't hit those double doors until you know that everything's right between you and God. Best decision you'll ever make. But for those of us that are Christians, oh, this year has unlimited opportunity for growth. You may say, well, pastor, what's going to happen with the coronavirus and the vaccine and, and you know, what's going to happen with the, the, the new president. I don't know what's going to happen with any of that stuff. And frankly, at the end of the day, none of that really even matters. I know this. This year is going to be hard. Indeed. I'm just going to shoot you straight. This year's going to be hard. But I'm telling you this. God has given us everything that we need in Jesus Christ to make it. And God is faithful and you can trust him. That's why this year is going to be totally awesome if you walk with Jesus. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.